Welcome to the Soho Playhouse podcast. I'm Darren Lee Cole. This is a show about off-Broadway theater and how it serves the cultural landscapes of New York City, the United States, and the world. We'll chat with the incredible creators and influencers of this unique art form. So now, come with me backstage. Yes, New York is one of the great centers of theater in the world. But in my travels, I've come to know that it's just one of many hubs for what we all love so much, the theater arts. And from those many places come many wonderful, talented performers. Back in September of 2018, Soho Playhouse was host to James and Jamesy's show, In the Dark. The performers were Alistair Knowles and Aaron Malkin. I had the pleasure of talking to them right after their debut and right in front of the audience. Please enjoy my talk with James and Jamesy. First of all, thank you both for being here and blessing us with your wonderful performance. I think the audience, who is many of whom are sitting with us live here at the club, certainly enjoyed it. Uh, why don't we start with you, Aaron? How do you guys meet? Like, how does something like James and Jamesy come about? About eight, nine, did I just give away my Canadian by saying about? Well, I don't know, just the boot. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear it, but everybody tells me. Yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna just the boot give so it that way. I'll say we started in Canada. <laughs> um, about, oh, eight, <laughs> there it comes, uh, eight or nine years ago. And uh, I was working in visual effects for film. I was working on Thomas the Tank Engine cartoons. Uh, so I was already famous to four-year-old boys. Um, and Alistair In had, a good way. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> thanks for clarifying, yeah. Um, Alistair uh, was uh, then uh, completing a commerce degree. And uh, neither of us thought we were going to make a living in theater. Um, but we happened to meet uh, working on a community theater project uh, where it was a kind of a dance marathon concept and the characters were quite, um, uh, there was a lot of physical comedy involved and we both had similar training, which was kind of like, uh, we did training because uh, we loved what it did to us, not because we uh, had aspirations to be professional theater performers. Um, and we worked on this community theater show and had so much fun. We did a month-long run so wait a in minute. Did you guys meet in the audition, or were you both cast and actually We met? were both cast. Here, uh, let's okay. go ahead. Yeah. We, were, we were both cast. It's, it was based on the dance marathons of the 20s and 30s where people would dance continuously until the last couple standing would be the winners. And this is these are these would go on for There's days in some days cases, in some right? cases months. And I think the longest was three or five months. Three or five months. get 10 minutes of sleep every hour. Uh, well, each one had its own rules. But Aaron and I were two of the finalists. Uh, not that we actually danced that long, but it was a condensed version. So, so we were always in this, on stage together. And because it was a devised piece, we were all creating it as we went. We spent so much time together. It wasn't a three-week rehearsal run. It was like... So a devised piece means that there was no definite set script. Not, not at the onset. So you were creating the piece as you were rehearsing we were it and figuring it out. Figuring out the characters and their relationships. Which, which meant that as performers, there was a lot of freedom. Um, and in this community that we were, part, we were part of in Vancouver, there was a few performers in the, in the group who really stood out. They had a, a willingness to connect with the audience. They had an honesty in their presence. 
that was inspiring, not just on the stage, but in life. This, this willingness to, to be vulnerable in the face of the unknown. And that, actually, that's really interesting you say that, because that has, in this past podcast, been a bit of a recurring theme about what makes somebody special, like why do you want to work with somebody else? And a lot of the time, artistically, it seems to come down to this business of honesty and vulnerability. Yeah. And is that something, uh, would you agree that those are the two keys maybe? And yeah, do you recognize that in somebody else quickly, those at attributes? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do. I love feeling that I am with someone. And uh, if they're skating on the surface, it's hard to know where they are. Um, and I, there's a lot of satisfaction and security in feeling that connection with someone else. Well, that it, certainly shows in your work and specifically in this piece, In the Dark, oh, yeah. where a, a lot of the language of the play is about building we's, the, the concept of we's. Um, so let's just, let's just rewind quickly because I want to get to how this particular show was created, but back to your origin story, as it were. <laughs> so you're in a marathon <laughs> dance show that's yeah. uh, being made up as you go along. You see each other and realize, obviously, that you have talents that you admire in one another and like working together. And do you say, let's do a show, or how does it work? Yeah, let's skip ahead to our origin story. So we decided working together on that community theater show, when it came to an end, we wanted to continue working together. And so Alistair had this concept, superhero boy band, <laughs> which uh, he decided to run with uh, as a concept and invited a few people from that show to participate on. Uh, and I was one of them. And today, together we created a show called Superhero Boy Band uh, <laughs> Origins. So it was the origin story of the superhero boy band. <laughs> You want to talk? Well, I, I, want, I wanted to mention, uh, so the, with us, because we, were, we, lived four, we lived four blocks away from each other, we would often cross paths. So the, our origin story has a few different facets to it. There's one that's particularly fun, which was we had both signed up to do uh, a, a week-long Buffon course. Uh, a what? A Buffon. It's a, I don't it's even a know style what that is. Of, it's a style of clown uh, oh. that's... Um, I won't get into the definition too much, but I'll say we were in, we were in the, just, that's not my special, my area of expertise. Um, well, cl you're, you're, you're segueing, but it was one of my main questions for you guys, because oh, yeah. I really admire what you do. And okay. I wanted to know, because I'm a bit of a novice as far as these definitions go myself, if they even exist. What, because what you do has a lot of clowning in it. Oh, it yeah. has a lot of physical... Uh, comedy, a lot of physical theater in it. Um, do you label yourselves uh, uh, any of those things, all of those things? I, privately, yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better answer than I expected. <laughs> uh, we, we trained the first course, well, the course that Aaron and I have, the, the root of our training is in, is in clown, and our teacher and director, David McMurray-Smith, the intro course is called Personal Transformation and Creative Character Development Through Clown. Wow. So it's a mouthful, but... Yeah, but, it, but actually virtually perfectly describes what I see you guys do. 
Uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an aptly titled course. Uh, and it made uh, such a big difference in my life that I wanted to continue uh, incorporating those uh, that conditioning and the methodology into my life as much as I could. So I would say yes to every opportunity uh, that that came across that came my way uh, that I could fit in, you know, in, in the cracks that my day job had. You know, like. Well, well what's I, it what's it like for a young performer? You know, in that discovery arc of like how I want to express myself. Do I want to be an actor? Do I want to be a dancer? Do I want to pursue clowning? Do I want to be a busker? Or is there a greater thing that you want to entertain and then later you sort of figure out what's going to be your vehicle? Or is it, what comes first? Is it, is it a chicken and the egg thing? Or do you say, I need to dance, I need to clown, er ergo I'm going to go entertain people with it? I think for myself, um, I had grown up with a lot of constraint um, in that I was uh, encouraged to pursue a path of financial stability. Which, so what the hell are you doing in our business? <laughs> which, uh, which didn't include um, like putting a lot of time into performing or sports, right. both of which I was interested in. And uh, some experiences I had in my adult life in, um, were sufficient to... Uh, allow me to say yes to my burning desires, to um, to exploring my passions and giving them life. And that made such a difference to me. It went from depression to feeling so fully alive. And How, how old do you think you are when, I'm sure it's not a, a one-day epiphany, but like in your early 30s, 33, yeah, you were having this transition. And, uh, <laughs> Why is that so funny? That seems like a good age for that. It's funny, it's funny to me because uh, when I was 33 um, and I was all these transformations were going on in my life, they said uh, people continually told me that was the year Jesus died. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I didn't know until that point, but I'm like, oh, it's a significant year. Okay. Okay. Uh, I remember during one of those dance marathon rehearsals, Aaron came in and stoically said, I just quit my job. And I was like, oh, great, good, okay. Now, now we'll do something else. <laughs> but for, I didn't realize at the time what a significant step that was, that was for Aaron for to, to yeah. step into the unknown. And I think we all come from different places in terms of uh, how we get to define ourselves as each day dawns. Uh, I like asking that question to myself and Aaron. So we have all these experiences as all of us do leading up till today. And we have all these things we think are obligations or commitments or identities that we, we hold ourselves to, uh, even ourselves. Like we've got these five shows, we perform them. We've got opportunities to perform. We can make a living doing this. Those are all great things that we have. Those are not requirements. There's no requirement that we continue to do that just as there are are a lot of things that we think are requirements or identities that that define us but we get to choose that and we, we're you know as self-employed performers we it's very clear we get to choose that because we get to say yes to opportunities or we get to seek out opportunities or we can just let let it go i i think it's at this point in our careers it's it's so exciting that we've made it here to new york which is uh, sort of a, 
a big thing, you know, as a as a performer who's yeah, well, great, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's our New York crowd. Well, that's <laughs> well, we are actually always interested to hear that because you hear, you know, different people have different views of New York that don't live in New York. So for Canadian artists, is it still a big deal to come to New York and perform on a New York stage? <laughs> okay, here, here's, a, here's a little story. Uh, when I was maybe five or six years old, um, I don't remember who it was, but I, I saw a video on TV. My parents were in the room. I, they probably showed it to me. Um, there was someone saying, start spreading the news. And we it was all hate big, that song. This big show tune with lots of dancers, and I thought that was great. That's so fun. I had no idea what the words were or what they meant, but for weeks I went around the house, start spreading the loo. <laughs> That's what I sang. Start spreading the loo. And so when when Darren asked us to come to New York, um, and we decided you started spreading the loo. I, I emailed my parents and I said, start spreading the loo. I'm going to New York. That's my story. <laughs> nice. I, I, yes, being in New York is a big deal in that, in that it opens up the question, what now to an even bigger degree? You know, we've been yeah. fortunate to, we won the Canadian Comedy Award a couple years ago, which, you know, Congratulations, that's, by the that's, way, that's a big deal. That's a pretty cool big you better deal. better believe you know, it, yeah. As Canadians, but you know, we do that and now, now we're here and, and, you can start letting go of those like what are the things that that mean something and it becomes really apparent that the, the meaning we place on things is optional and so well let's explore that further so you do you meet in this dance marathon uh workshop you play you decide to do the boy band thing yeah pure fun which was, oh, yeah but, but something obviously <laughs> then there's a greater leap that happens somewhere between now we're two guys that have met each other, worked a little bit together. Like, how does James and Jamesy, how does like, to me that feels oh, like yeah. a bigger commitment and that feels like, okay, we're entrusting each other with a bit more here. We're, yeah. we're gonna go out in the world as, uh, you know, as two performers, not one. Where did that leap? Tell us about that. Um. We were. It by was, the way, if you can hear an infant in the background, uh, oh, who does that belong to? Oh, that's my little Olive over there. So shout hey. out to Olive. Hey, Olive, love you. Yep, and, she's already a theater uh, warhorse. Oh yeah, and thanks, Stephanie, to my amazing partner who's supported me through all this journey. Yeah, great to have Stephanie here as well. Uh, Hi, Steph. Um. There, there so was tell me about that leap, yeah, if you, if you, this is, this because is, that seems like a bigger, so the, like, okay, now we're going to do something called James and James. Yeah, Where so, did that, come so about? that leap happened at about three o'clock in the morning. I was walking down a farm road uh, on, an, on an island in northern, Man, uh, northern Ontario, and Aaron and I were taking this course, and we had to present our final piece the next day. We weren't James and James at that point in time. And at three o'clock in the morning, I was like, I, I had a script I'd written. I was f frantically trying to remember it. And I, I was like, oh, it's not working. It's not working. What am I going to do? Oh, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a performer. I hope I hope I can make something worthy. <laughs> uh, and then it, down this road at three o'clock in the morning, I see another figure walking. And I was like, what? Who? And as it approaches, it's Aaron 
who is also in the exact same predicament I am in. And, wow. the, and there's a barn, there's a barn at this event uh, where where the fe where the workshop is taking place. And so Aaron and I head back into the barn at three o'clock in the morning, and we share each other's ideas, and then we perform each other's parts. Uh, free from... This is going to make an incredible movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we chose to do was we got the concept that the other was was going for, and we each realized about the Wait, other... Wait, what was that concept or what? So Catch us it up. It was Buffon. Um, Which is a style of clowning. It's a... Uh, I'm, Sorry it's for a, the unsophisticated It's a style of performance that uh, focuses on... Um, uh, finding where the buttons are to be pushed, like to push them, but be charming enough to get away with it. Right. So, like Borat. Right. With Sasha Baron Cohen. Right. So, what if it fails? It fails epically. But if it works, it, it it's really cool. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a it's an art unto itself. Uh, and we were taking a course in it. And so we each had our own pieces that we had devised that we were performing to the group the next day. And we saw in each other's pieces. The essence of it was what's important, not the, the script that we had each created. Uh -huh. So I, I said, hey, let me do your thing. I didn't need to know his script to play his skit. He didn't need to know my script to play my skit. But we were each locked into thinking we had to like, oh, I have to learn my lines for it to work. And so we played each other's skits. Uh, just like improv each other's ideas. Yep, yeah. just taking the idea and improvising it. And we loved each other's renditions of right. these concepts. So you realize, oh my gosh, this really works. This was, we had a bottle. And we were really, it was playful. It was funny. It was supportive of each other. And it was funny as hell. <laughs> so then, so then you have this sort of, that is really cool, by the way. You have this magic moment at 3 a.m. when you realize almost destiny has sort of thrown you together in this, where after realizing and doing that exercise of trying each other's stuff and riffing with each other and trusting, yeah. when does that then turn into, okay, we're gonna do a show now on this vibe? Um, we, had, we had a clown group that met regularly in Vancouver creating little skits. Uh, Aaron and I were both part of that group called Poop on Parade. They're great folks. Um, and one of the skits we had was these two British characters that got together. Uh, and and when we did the first performance of it, there was a few people in the audience whose opinions we really trusted, different clown gurus uh, of ours. And people, yeah, we were excited for their, for their feedback. And one woman, Raina von Waldenberg, who used to teach at a New York, New York University? NYU, I believe. Yeah, yeah. NYU, uh, doing theater, teaching theater. She said, you guys got gold there. If you want it, you can mine it. And that was all she needed to say. And Is that the one that turned into tea for that two? That turned into t uh, two for tea. Two for tea, rather, yeah. And we toured Canada pretending we were British. Uh, <laughs> and presenting our, our blend of British comedy. Uh, and, and in those shows, they were celebrations of imagination and friendship over a cup of tea that that challenged and invited the audience to join us in this world of imagination and play characters and the success of those shows uh, now that was hugely popular oh, on the fringe circuit it was i remember first um i i couldn't get into the first 
time I tried to get yeah. into that show. Oh, you're, you're you the artistic director of a New York theater? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There's no space for you. <laughs> privilege. My privilege. reputation preceded me, obviously. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Fringe is a... No, but, this, this, yeah. uh, but that show, uh, Two for Tea, was a massive hit everywhere. Uh, how many festivals would you say that you did that show in? We've probably performed that show 300 times uh, in 15 festivals, 30 festivals. Wow. I don't know. So is that... Math. We don't do math. Is that the, um, is that the bulk of your performing gigs in these festivals? No. Or how does it work for guys like so, you? So uh, for guys like us, um, it, <coughs> we did two for tea. Uh, we were... Uh, floored with its success and we didn't want it to stop so once the fringe season ended we found ways to continue performing it in theaters that didn't have in cities that didn't have fringe festivals uh, so we continued doing it through the year and during which time we also created a new show called high tea and we toured that the following year across north america and then we created the first version of in the dark right now you're seeing kind of uh, in the Dark has been developed for a few years, um, and we uh, we toured in the dark, and then went to new festivals and new theaters, and performed basically each uh, show in in that sequence: two for tea, high tea, in the dark. Right. It's not a, it's not like a trilogy uh, by any means, um, and we thought in the dark would be the best bet here, partly because you saw it and were quite moved by it. Well, well, actually, that's well, that's a, that's an interesting thing because you guys asked me and, and said. Quite honestly, like, you know, our quote unquote bigger hit might be another show, might, might be Two for Tea. Two for Tea is easier to sell. And easier to sell, which I agree with. So you, I remember us sitting together in Orlando and discussing this and why I wanted uh, to present this show was I felt that, and let's talk a little bit about In the Dark. Yeah, what I admired so much about In the Dark and why I wanted to present it was in the current zeitgeist of not just America, but traveling the world, of the world. The concept of what if you just arrived someplace and you were unknown to the surroundings and the surroundings were unknown to you, including any potential inhabitants there. How would you get along? Uh, could, could you break down boundaries? Could you create language? Could you create relationships? Could you create community? And what I admired so much about the show is I think there's an, a creation, which you use d definitively in the show by name, there's a creation of community. And I felt like that was really important to use art to say things like that today. So that, that was my reason as presenter to bring it. Do, do those things reflect why you created the piece? Totally. Uh, we were, the concept of, uh, of this show, In the Dark, uh, started when we were asked to perform at a music festival outside at night. Uh, and we were given, they said, we'd love to you to entertain people. We have no lights. We have no sound system. We have no stage. <laughs> Go. <laughs> okay, so uh, we we came up with the the costumes were a, the costumes were were a guide. They were sort of gave a framework for what we could what we could do. So for those of us who 
didn't they're listening and didn't yeah, get to a, see the show describe it's a, it briefly what it's a gray th- we're both wearing gray three-piece suits with essentially lampshades on a lampshade helmets on so we we light whatever we look at and everything that we can't we're not looking at we're blind to the lampshade is uh like the bottom of the lampshade is facing forwards uh, if you're trying to visualize, I just imagine people thinking lampshades on the heads like oh, yeah. the light for the party. So the, light's shining out the, way the light is shining out. Yeah, exactly. And or wherever you're looking, really. Yeah. And as we were as we were performing, Olivia thanks, Olive. Yeah, <laughs> as we were uh, performing in this festival, people would come up to us and consistently ask, "What are you supposed to be? What are you supposed to be? What are you doing?" Why are you here? What are you supposed to be? But what are you supposed to be was the main thing. And that question, when we took it out of the, out of the festival and into the studio setting, we took it it's like, what are you supposed to be? What? Who are you? Right. Uh, and, and there's almost a little bit of an Abbott and Costello who's on first there, business there, about that. There is, yeah. In that when you, strip, when you strip trying to understand something down to its, very, down to its essentials, like we're just... The, the comedy in, in the dark is that... The that question so, is often the answer, and the answer is the question, and yeah. so it goes. <laughs> and so it goes. Exactly. That's exactly it. Uh, and, and so we, tr- we, tried to, we tried to have that, that sense of, of discovery uh, and the, the question of what is this relationship we have to ourselves and to each other, and how is it that coming together actually creates... There is there is a we that is created when two people are together, and that that one that you can't know all of yourself, and that it takes other people to know more about yourself, and that that embrace of the unknown, both out there and in here, is is such a valuable exploration. And, and it seems to me that the actual setup of theater in a in a darkened space where the audience is assembled in the way that it is is in many ways the perfect environment to, to do exactly what you guys are doing in this case. I mean, oh, more so than just every play, but in, in a unique way to have landed there. We, we spent a long time exploring how to take the roving nature of the characters we discovered in that music festival into a theater context. Because it was not, it was not apparent <laughs> at the beginning. It seems perfect now to you, uh, but it was well earned. <laughs> well, I mean, we would be in the distance; these characters just improvising with our physicality and our lights, and people would be compelled to. They'd want it. They'd be drawn to us because there, right. there was something about the aesthetic that was like it was misty at night. It was beautiful so we try to replicate that with the lighting effects we do which like, you you do get that effect you notice the haze uh, something that's really fun about the theater which i've grown to appreciate more and more is that when the once the audience sits down we've kind of got you for the duration <laughs> of the show you can't change the channel yeah you can't swipe down or swipe left or whatever uh you're just you're kind of with us and so we, we have, while we want to be engaging the entire time, <laughs> uh, it gives us the freedom to sort of lay, lay down these layers of arguments uh, so that by the time we do build to a collective we, there's a foundation that that can sit on. Uh, and yeah, so I think that actually, the, and well done, I think that's really achieved in this show. 
I mean, I'm looking at the audience that saw it tonight who are sort of nodding in agreement that that foundation really did matter and, it, and the show built on it and got us all involved. And it's tough to get a New York crowd as you're learning uh, yeah. uh, to get involved in any way, it, shape, or form. It is interesting. You know, like some people go, why, why can't you just start? And you know who you are out there. <laughs> <laughs> There's our cat. Yeah. Like, we had a straight cat in the house tonight. <laughs> some people ask, oh, why can't you just start with the fun bits? <laughs> and and uh, I think... I think there's value in the journey to appreciate where we get to. Sure. I think there's value, uh, and one of those values is building trust. Uh, you can't just land on stage and say, hey, let's have fun. I mean, right. well, some people you, do. You can, but some that, people get away with it. that's not going to hold up uh, for m much more than a few minutes' time Yeah. without it, some spine or backbone. or. If people get... Uh, <laughs> you're saying something and 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 there's this discovery of the new space that you're in we don't tell people explicitly this is what we're doing now we we uh give space for them to discover it because if the audience feels like they're discovering it on their own it can be magical mm -hmm. and that's part of the art of this show is uh being conductors but not being seen as conductors. Well, I think it's masterfully conducted and it certainly uh, has uh, this audience's full attention. Uh, just quickly before I let you guys go, I, I like to just poke a couple of questions that you might not always hear, have heard. So now that you have this great thing going, do you work separately or do you, do you consider working apart from one another? Is that, how does that? <gasps> Exactly. <laughs> um, Let's yeah, leave we the do, drama on the well, stage. We, 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 we do work separately from each other, uh, but in we're very supportive of those other projects. Aaron has a solo project called Thunderfoot, which is an all-true storytelling uh, autobiographical fairy tale about his, the loss of his mother when he was four years old. Four? Five? Five? <laughs> um, uh, and and you, I, had a, you had a piece of your own also, right? Yeah, uh, so I've got a show with my partner Stephanie right. called Bushel and Peck. Right. Uh, and, I woo and I think... And Stephanie was in that awesome show I saw at Toronto. Fringe the Merkin well. Sisters. The Merkin Sisters. That's right. Oh. If you're ever out and you ever <laughs> see the Merkin Sisters... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Run... Run, don't walk to the American uh, sisters. That's for sure. I, I, I think, d yeah, building a show with anyone is is a real is a real treat to as a way to get to know someone. So Stephanie and I, uh, we embarked on that journey together. Uh, before we were planned on having Olive, we we thought let's we we're gonna do a thing called being a relationship. Let's try building a show together and see how that, and see how that goes. It was, a, it was a real tool to, to get to know each other and to, to work through what it takes to, to build. Building shows is full of compromises. Yeah, it really es is. Especially when you don't have a label like, I am the director, I, I am the writer. Yeah, when, when it's our thing. When it's our thing and we're both yeah. sharing the stage. It's, it's one of the great things about what we get to do is we, we have a platform for our things. Yeah. Uh, 
on the fringe festival circuit, I know Darren, you wanted to talk more about the fringe or wanted to. Yeah, because right. And soon we're going to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to announce this year's 2018 international fringe encore winners. Yeah. Yeah, Coming right up. Uh, Yeah. The fringe has been huge for us. Uh, in that it has given us an opportunity to uh, create new work and have kind of instant audience for that uh, in a whole variety of contexts. Having performed so many fringes in so many different theaters, the shows become so robust. Um, we figure out ways for it to make it work with very different kinds of audiences and also very different spaces. Um, but back to the question of... Oh, and that it's unjuried. So... It doesn't matter if your show is developed or uh, if your performers are experienced. It's like anyone can put on a show at a fringe festival. Um, it's quite different from the fringe encore series, which is right. curated. The fringe, the fringe that we're talking but about. One is of the beauties of the of the fringes is the egalitarian nature yeah. of anyone of the can art. put on a show, and that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, as as theater performers, we we have been fortunate to, to not feel uh, required to audition for someone else's performances uh, and the fringe has been the way a way that we've been able to make that sustainable is that there's a platform for us to present our work and to try our hands at self-directing or to try our hands at writing or performing or costume creation. doing your own thing yeah yeah and really making your own artistic expression yeah. I want to just give a, a big shout out to David David McMurray Smith, yes. who who you ask a lot about these these like where do we come up with the questions or the the root of of what we do. And David is whom in the project? David is our director and co. I would say he's the lead writer of this show. We all created it together, but he was the one who would go home afterwards and and type out what we the ideas we'd hashed out in the studio, uh, and he's been fundamental in in having our our theatrical framework rooted in that honest exploration and connection with the audience. Well, certainly uh, a big congratulations go out to him. Now, a quick final question for you guys before I let you go and announce these encore winners. If, and I ask this to a lot of artists. Uh, we'll start with Aaron. If you weren't doing this, if you hadn't made that leap, what would you be doing with your life? Oh, <laughs> um, I would say working with Alistair has been uh, so perfect for me because Alistair sees opportunities and uh, carves a path to allow us to get there where my default behaviors would have me think that opportunity, I can't get there. And so I don't carve the path, and so I don't get there. So what, you wouldn't be on this path. What would you be doing, do you think? Well, I would say... How do you imagine your life would have turned Alistair out? Alistair decided to book a theater for Superhero Boy Band before we had a show. <laughs> that is superhero behavior. <laughs> to me, that was ludicrous. It was ludicrous. All right, Why Al would you Alistair, do that? What, what is so it, just so to complete your question... Yeah. I would be very li limited. I would be living a very contained life, not present to what I am capable of, and I wouldn't be doing things that I love so much. So 
I owe it to this guy's vision and optimism, and I would be not as happy. Yeah, amen. Alistair, uh, Alistair, honestly, what if you didn't, like, were there any other paths or, or what, honestly, where do you think you would be if you weren't doing this? What do you think you would be doing with your life? I, I like thinking of life as a mosaic of possibilities. So rather than a single direction that I'd want to go, I, I like thinking that if I, any of my interests can contribute to making, making a life for myself. So I like doing construction. Stephanie and I built a, our own little tiny house. Uh, and I like, I see a picture. I just looked at a friend of mine who has a three-year-old. She just posted a bunch of photos of her at the property we, we live at and we share with a bunch of people. And it's her little three-year-old hanging out with a chicken. And I was like, her little three-year-old's raising this chicken from a chick. It's the cutest thing. And I go, you know. So I you'd be I a want, farmer. Well, I want, I want <laughs> some of that in my life. I want some of building. You know, I want, I want to share the stage with this guy. I want to try being us on the stage on my own. I'd want to try right. a solo show. Uh, I, I don't think we need a lot to make a living. I mean, maybe you can s- it's different here in New York with. Uh, well, uh, uh, <laughs> everything's uh, relative. But you know, the, uh, Alistair, Alistair once lived on two hundred dollars a year for food. So a year. He 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 finds ways to not make, in this not making a lot of money work. Yeah. <laughs> that was a choice, which I was fortunate to be in the choice in that position to be. Um, well, listen, I want uh, I, I want the uh, crowd to join me in thanking these two wonderful gentlemen for joining us. Uh, So uh, quickly, uh, just before I I let them go and announce these Fringe Encore Series winners, I want to let everybody know that it's James and Jamesy in the dark is the name of the show. It opened tonight, September 18th, 2018, and it, uh, September 12th, sorry, 2018, (laughs) and it will be playing for the next five weeks here, and you can get tickets at SohoPlayhouse.com, and guys, where do people find out more about you and James and Jamesy? Oh, our website, James and Jamesy, that's James with a Y, dot com. So jamesandjamesy.com for the guys yeah. and sohoplayhouse.com for the show. And thanks so much, Darren, for bringing us out to New York. It's, it's really cool to have this portion of our dream <laughs> come, come true, you know. Well, uh, it's, it's really fun. It's, I, it's I, I assure you the pleasure is ours. Yeah, thanks. So, thanks for being here. Okay, so uh, again, part of the reason I get to discover acts like James and Jamesy is through these wonderful fringe festivals that exist around the world. So this year, the fringe uh, festivals that I personally went out along with our committee and scouted uh, to select our encore series for this year, the the fringes attended this year were uh, in Limerick, Ireland, in Brighton, England, in Orlando, Florida, in uh, Hollywood, California, in Toronto, in Canada, and in Edinburgh, in 
Scotland. And then also to be uh, later announced will be the encores from New York Fringe, which doesn't happen until October this year. So a big shout out to our good friends at Fringe NYC. So anybody listening to this now, our encore series happens in November, but Fringe NYC, New York's hometown Fringe, happens in October this year. So I think you can go to fringenyc.org and learn all about them. And uh, there are great friends, and there's always great programming there. So I encourage everybody to have a look. And we'll be scouting that series as well. So without further ado, I'm just going to mention these shows and, and just make a very little comment about why I chose them. All right, so the Fringe Encore Series 2018 winners are in no particular order. Uh, 13 Dead Dreams of Eugene. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah. This uh, was discovered at the Orlando Fringe, and for fans of uh, horror plays, which is an upcoming genre, true horror plays, and if you're a fan of Pigpen Theater, if you know who they are, Pigpen Theater Company, who's also been encored a few times, they do incredible work with shadow puppetry, and this show has a lot of elements like that to it. So congratulations, 13 Dead Dreams of Eugene. And it's a crazy story. Uh, a whole town starts having the same nightmares because they've kept a dead body on display for years and years, and, and, and things get weird. Uh, and the next winner is, this one was really fun. It's called A Solo from the Pit. And this is a show from Sweden that I actually discovered at the Orlando Fringe as well. And Solo from the Pit is about a trombone player who is playing in the pit of the New York Metropolitan Opera. And he tells stories about what's happening in that pit and that how his dreams of making his own music with his trombone are a bit crushed by being in that environment. So uh, a la the guy sitting here, he heads out on his own and, and beats to his own drummer. An absolutely wonderful show from Sweden. Uh, this one was really cool. Another winner is called This Boy Tom. This Boy Tom really won my heart because I love seeing young people do theater well. And that would be the best, uh, and with a socially important sort of message behind their show. And so I really felt like this was uh, exemplary of that kind of work. These are 12, 13, and 14-year-old kids that did this show. It's a show that's about bullying and uh, how the school comes together and sort of protects each other. And it's an absolutely wonderful piece and very family-oriented, and it's called This Boy Tom. Uh, and that came out of the Brighton Festival. Uh, Hamlet and Experience is the next winner. And boy, no, no truer words were ever spoken. Uh, this one's really great. It, it, it's... It would be improper to say it's a one-person show, although Emily, the great actress Emily Carding, has put this together, and it's Emily. But what happens in Hamlet and Experience is we all get, we walk into the room as the audience, and she hands you a script. And you get employed into being one of the actors in this famous role of Hamlet. You will never experience Hamlet quite like this. 
And it's not intimidating. She, she's found this way to make this really user-friendly, uh, this concept of coming in and participating in a Hamlet. So Hamlet and Experience, which was also from the Brighton uh, Festival. The, the next winner, if, and the, this is a wonderful show. It's called Butt Kapinski. Yeah. So people that have been around the fringe circuit know Butt. Uh, because Butt's been to and won many, numerous awards at numerous festivals. Uh, Butt Kapinski actually makes a, a unique and live film noir every night with the audience. I think the night I was there, I was a corrupt cop and a female hooker on the corner. Uh, I was, so you too can aspire to such things with Butt Kapinski. Uh, and, I, and Butt Kapinski is also from Brighton Festival where, where she was awarded. Um, next winner is called Love Song to Lavender Menace. Really wonderful play uh, that struck me for two reasons, this play. Uh, Lavender Menace is the name of the first LGBT bookstore in Edinburgh. I think it was, I, I'm not sure of this, I believe it might have been the first LGBT bookstore in all of Scotland. It, it, I'm, I'm getting confirmation that is indeed the case. So, uh, and this is at a time where that was not as accepted, to put it mildly, in that culture as it is today. And so it hit me for two reasons. First of all, coming from our neighborhood in New York, where, where the LGBT community is such a big part of us, and what we do here at the Playhouse, to, to sort of time travel back to the early 80s and see this small bookshop uh, conquer the things that they had to conquer to, for mere existence is inspiring on its own. But it also hit me as uh, my role here at Soho Playhouse, because it's also a story of gentrification and what happens to the small bookshops, the small theaters in our big cities. Uh, in, in their story, a big book chain comes in, Waterstones, I think it is, and, and buys out their home and, and, and they get displaced. And it just really hit me like a ton of bricks how much that happens right here in New York City. So beyond this wonderful play that I'm watching and having this nostalgia, it really hit home about gentrification. So love song to Lavender Menace, uh, uh, found and uh, awarded from the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, this is truly, uh, and I mean this uh, pun intended, a knockout. Uh, the next winner is Dietrich, Natural Duty. Uh, this is a show about Marlena Dietrich, and uh, first of all, the uh, person playing Dietrich is stunning, to put it mildly. Uh, but also, what really struck me about this play and made this play important to me was, I, it was one of those classic uh, examples of where you thought you knew somebody, but you really didn't. And that was my case with Marlena Dietrich. I kind of thought I knew, I know of course she was a movie star, but I had no idea uh, her uh, association with United States Arms Force, Armed Forces, especially during the Second World War. 
and her work with Bob Hope, and uh, she became a ranked, I believe, a captain in the United States Army, and she became a fierce American patriot uh, and had a huge crisis later in her life when literally she was uh, sent to inspire American troops that would later that night bomb her parents' hometown. So um, really complex and fascinating story and the, the team that put this Dietrich together is top notch. It's handled really beautifully. So Dietrich, natural duty. Uh, our next winner, for those of you that have been on the Fringe Circuit, will recognize this name because he's well known uh, throughout the Fringe Festivals. And the next winner is T.J. Daw, and he does his show, A Canadian Bartender at Butlins. So for... I, T I, I why I selected this show is T.J is more than a comedian, he's really a storyteller. And uh, here at the Playhouse and, and being in a smaller off-Broadway theater, really the root of everything we do is in storytelling. And TJ is one of the true masters of storytelling I've ever seen. And for Americans that don't know, know what Butlins is, uh, I think in his actual descriptions of the, sh of the show is Butlins he calls the McDonald's-like resort of Southern Britain, which is really a shithole. <laughs> so he's a Canadian uh, bartender at Butlins. Uh, not my words, theirs. Uh, so congratulations, TJ Duff. That is a great show. Uh, the next winner, and TJ, by the way, is from the Toronto Fringe. Uh, the next winner was a very powerful show. It's called Wounded. And it, the subject matter of Wounded, which was discovered at the Hollywood Fringe, the reason I selected this particular piece of theater, first of all, the three actors in this are sublime, out, outstanding and sensitive performances in this, in this three-hander. But it also, uh, I think, speaks to a pretty underserved community in theater, and that's the, and that's the community of vets. This is a show, uh, it's, a, it's a love triangle uh, that involves veterans that are coming back in various degrees of damage from war. And it's a heroic story. Uh, there's three heroes in this story for very different reasons. They all have different battles that they are fighting. Uh, and it's an absolutely outstanding piece of theater about a really important subject. We send all these people to war. I think in this play it's brought up that we spend, and I'm making these numbers up so don't quote me, but we spend something like $250,000 per soldier that we send off to war, and we spend uh, less than one-tenth of that when these people come back damaged to help them and, and to help them for the rest of their lives. So this play deals with that. And, that, and Wounded was, I think I mentioned, from the Hollywood Fringe. Uh, the next winner is called Inescapable by Martin Dockery. Yeah, I know. So people that know this just really, I, I, I can't tell you how much I love this piece of theater. What's the best way to describe this? So 
The best way to describe this is if Tracy Letts and Samuel Beckett discovered a box on a table, this is what would happen. That's the best way to describe this play. <laughs> My press rep is laughing, at least he got that. Uh, yeah, uh, Samuel Beckett is smiling somewhere with, with inescapable, I promise you. Uh, and that was from Toronto Fringe as well. Uh, the next winner is, we also select one show each year where I feel like it's a newer show and hasn't really uh, achieved maybe all the highs it will eventually achieve. And we want to sort of give a, an up and coming artist a break and let them be a part of this and sort of give them a step up to the next level. And uh, there was a wonderful young woman uh, that was doing a show called Best Life. And Best Life is an encore winner this year out of Edinburgh. And, uh, and, and Tamar, this young woman is extraordinary and she does what I think is one of the hardest things to do, which is she stands on a stage with just her piano, just herself, just her honesty, and just her stories and absolutely sweeps you off your feet for about 65 minutes. So best life. And, and just remember, anything where the theme song of the show is do it for grandma is, is probably gonna be okay with me. <laughs> and then uh, our next winner, and this was uh, one of our pre-announced winners because it was sponsored by our good friends at Hollywood Fringe. So this is the most wild two-hander you'll ever see in your life. It's a two-person Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that comes out of uh, the, the gentleman of this two-man troupe uh, plays Jekyll and Hyde, and his wife uh, plays all the other roles. And it's, it's, it's a blast. What's the best way to describe this one? If anybody ever saw the production uh, a few years back of The 39 Steps, and what, what I mean by that is incredible inventiveness with the simplest of sets. A staircase turns into picnic tables, that turns into gardens, that turns into, and there's this really inventiveness to this piece of theater that gives this continuous flow and has you on pins and needles at the end. And I explain, like, it's like Titanic. You, you know what's happening at the end, but you still can't wait to see. So Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And then finally, uh, this one is a another one that was just so much fun. And this one came from the Limerick Festival in Ireland. Oh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, by the way, Hollywood Fringe. Uh, I saw a performance of Beowulf that literally stunned me. Uh, this is a two-person musical of the epic Beowulf. And uh, epic might not be a big enough word for this two-hander. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, you will see uh, our hero uh, swim and fight and slash and gouge. And, and, and uh, it's like watching Shrek play American football, I guess would be his. Uh, his <laughs> so 
Uh, those are our winners for 2018. Again, uh, stay tuned because we normally add one or two other shows uh, along the way that are still in consideration, and we will certainly be adding more shows out of our own hometown New York Fringe uh, coming up at the end of October. So for information about the Fringe Encore series, and to get tickets for that, and to find out about all these wonderful shows, uh, that website is fringeencores, plural, fringeencores.org. And that website is up and running as of this podcast. Tickets are on sale for all of those shows. They're really affordable. And uh, people ask me all the time, what's the best way, how can I help theater? How can I help art? And I, I always answer with this. The best thing you can do to support art in your community is go buy a ticket. Buy a ticket. Go buy a ticket to your local museum. Go buy a ticket to the dance. Go buy a ticket to the theater. Because buying the ticket does more than give the price of that ticket to the artist. It gives validation. It gives support. It, for those of us who are publicly funded, it shows a broad base of appeal for the art. So the number one thing you can do out there to support the art in your community is go buy a ticket to your local art uh, performance. Uh, thank you all for joining us. And I am the luckiest man in the world because I get Soho Playhouse experiences. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Soho Playhouse podcast. I hope that we inspire you to attend a show at our flagship Soho Playhouse in New York City or at our new location in Las Vegas. Or for that matter, wherever creative theater lives in your town. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. If you have a question or comment, reach out to us. Our email address is mail at SohoPlayhouse.com. And to find out a lot more about who we are and what we do, go to SohoPlayhouse.com. And remember, as Edward Alvey said, people come to Broadway to look. They come off Broadway to listen. Thank you.